2004, a new upstairs bookstore opened in Hong Kong. It not only sold books, music, and films, but it also hosted reading events, film discussions, art exhibitions, as well as many concerts. What you're listening to is a YouTube video of a Hong Kong artist named Pong Nan singing at a bookstore called Mackie Study back in 2004. And Mackie Study was ahead of its time. In 2004, many upstairs bookstores in Hong Kong would be filled with piles of books stacked from floor to ceiling. And this was due to a combination of land constraints and unaffordable rent. But Mackie's study was different, because besides being a bookstore, it also served as a cultural space, a community space. People congregated there not only to buy books, but to also have deeper conversations with others. But perhaps it was too ahead of its time. Here's the owner of Mackie's study, James Chong. And just to note, there's some background noise in the audio because we were speaking in a bookstore. First of all, I mean, when I look back at the Mackie's study, um, I think the city was not ready that much yet. Of, at, at the beginning, uh, we got many media coverage because like, oh, cocktails is something new. And it seems like a fresh idea to, to run a bookshop for many events. But at the end of the day, he could not earn enough profit to pay salaries and rent. And Mackie's study met its demise five years later. This is Borrowed. I'm Jasmine Se. During this three-part podcast series, I have investigated how Hong Kong's national security law has affected local book publishers and local authors. And in its last installment, I'll be turning my attention to those selling books. This is episode three, The Bookstores. It's 2022 now, 13 years since Mackey's study had closed. And between those 13 years, many other bookstores have closed as well. Hong Kong's oldest bookstore has shut down after 102 years in business. High rents and sharp drop in sales have forced a bookstore chain to close. Today marked the final chapter in the history of popular bookstore, which shut all 16 of its outlets after operating in Hong Kong for more than 40 years. Indie bookstores have also been affected within the last two years. Toast Books in Sekit May has closed, and the shop Anyone Cultural switched to an online business. More recently, however, some have closed not because of high rent or struggling to attract customers amid COVID, but because of the national security law. Before I dive into that, though, let me go back to James, because even though he closed Mackey's study in 2009, he spent some time working at an NGO and running his own social enterprise. And right now, he's running a bookstore again. Uh, In the summer of last year, and I noticed that many people still find it fascinating or have their dreams opening bookshops. And when I was in social enterprise, I noticed like there are many social innovation programs about like how they sort of incubate potential project owners to do something of, with their dreams. And I realized I can use this incubation program model to put into the bookshop industries. And it was like, you know, all my 20 years of experience of, you know, working on different sector came together last year and I realized I could do something like this. And so that's why I started this One Seventh Bookstores project. Like Mackie's study, One Seventh Bookstore is unconventional in its own right, because James isn't the only owner of this bookstore. In fact, there's seven owners. And the reason behind this was to tackle what had haunted Mackie's study, the salary and the rent. 
because with seven owners, they can all split the rent. And for the salary part, it, it gives a headaches, and you know when you run a bookshop. But if you invite different potential bookshop owners to run, I would think okay, they would be willing to be shopkeeper, you know, during the day. And it's just very easy to to relate. Okay, why don't we put each independent bookshop owners then to be on duty one day of the week? So there's seven days in the week, so it makes sense to to make it one seventh. And we have got seven different bookshelves on on the bookshop, so it's more like a, a pop up market. I was speaking to James in the One Seventh Bookstore located in Yamade, but in fact, there's another one in Samsurbo and one in Wanzai, and each of these bookstores have a different set of seven owners running them. But the store in Wanzai operates a bit differently. In Yamate and Samsurbo, we're nurturing people who want to become bookshop owners, but in Wanzai, I invited different existing physical bookshops to come together and using the same mechanism to run that bookshop in Wan Chai because that, that means each bookshop owner comes in one day of the week. One of those seven bookshop owners is Eric Wong. And the idea is we have a ground floor shop in this shopping center and then... Eric runs his own bookstore in Wonggo called Hong Kong Book Era, and he had also been one of the seven people running the one seventh bookstore in Wanzai up until the end of February. The bookstore is now in its second installment with a new set of seven owners. People come around, they will uh, know, oh, there so many independent bookstores in Hong Kong. Maybe they, they uh, didn't realize before. So I think this is a good idea. So uh, without any much consideration, I've participated in it. Eric opened his bookstore two years ago in 2020. There was a chance for me to start my own business at the time because during that time there's a lot of change in the world, in Hong Kong, the lockdown. In that year I was staying at home all the time so I certainly I had the idea to, to start my own business and open a bookshop. Eric's not the only one who thought of opening a bookstore. In fact, there have been a number of indie bookstores opening up in the last two years. And what's fascinating to me is that all of these indie bookstores don't just sell books. They also hold events, discussions, seminars, workshops, much like a cultural community space, just like Mackie's study had done back in 2004. I think nowadays, as an independent bookshop, we have to do more than uh, just selling books. Like organize different cultural activities is one thing that we, we can do. I grew up in Los Angeles, California, but every few years I'd come to Hong Kong over summer vacation. My siblings and I would all sleep on the floor of our relatives' flats. I was always amused by the amount of space in Hong Kong compared to the suburbs in LA, and I had taken for granted what I was accustomed to, because in Hong Kong, space is a huge privilege. And it's such a big deal that the international media has covered this story many times. It's more expensive to live in Hong Kong than anywhere in the world. Beneath the glitter and glamour of Hong Kong, there's staggering inequality and a crippling housing crisis. Housing is a complex numbers game, and the city's poorest are paying for it. 
Hong Kong's housing crisis began after the Asian financial crisis in 1997. Since then, the city's population has increased, while the supply of developed land remains limited. This is one of the reasons why housing prices in Hong Kong remain unattainably high for many. Some live in cage homes, some take refuge in McDonald's, and the ongoing COVID pandemic has increased the city's homeless population to over 1,500. The scarcity of land and the surging prices of rent has not only affected homeowners, but also small businesses. And this includes bookstore owners. Hi, my name is Gabriel, and uh, I'm currently uh, owner of Hiding Place, a bookstore. Well, we're not, not only a bookstore, it's a, it's a space currently in Taiwan. I was speaking to Gabriel at his bookstore, so you'll be hearing some background noise in the audio. Hiding Place was named after the book written by Cory Ten Boom. She was a Christian living in the Netherlands. During the Holocaust, she helped Jews escape from the Nazis by hiding them in her home. She was later caught and sent to a concentration camp, but she survived and later wrote a book about that experience. Gabriel and his three co-founders were inspired by her story. And we four actually are Christians as well, so we find the idea of uh, the hiding place very inspiring and it aligns with what we believe in. And we think it's very relevant nowadays to create a hiding place for people in Hong Kong. Can you tell me more about why you think Hong Kongers need a hiding place? Hong Kong people are really busy and they don't really have a, have a place to hide. Uh, sometimes because of the shortage of space here in Hong Kong, you know, the flats are so small and you just don't have a space here. So uh, we think that a hiding place is, is what people need. And the spaces that Eric and Gabriel are creating in their bookstores have not gone unnoticed by James. Overall, all these independent bookshops are projecting a very different kind of operation model these days. Of course, they sell books, but the function-wise, it's got much more variations, and definitely there are many um, talks and perhaps workshops. But having a space in a city, acting as a bookshop, it means it welcomes many different people from different walks of life to come up and you know, talk to each other or interact with each other. Because like books, there are many different topics among books. So in that sense, it means many different people can interact with each other in the space of bookshops. So having a space in that respect, in encourage people from different perspectives can interact. So I think that's the meaning of the bookshops these days. But just as many indie bookstores are opening, some have also closed, and it's not because of rent or a lack of space. In August of 2021, a bookstore announced it would be closing. The owner of the bookstore explained in a blog post and wrote, The backdrop to these developments is, of course, politics. Hello. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Is it really cold in New York? Today it's starting to get cold. So it was warm yesterday, but today it's it's um, going into the 20s and teens. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cold. <laughs> yeah. The owner of this bookstore is now living 12,000 miles away from Hong Kong in upstate New York. We were speaking through Google Meets. My name is Albert Wan. I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to run a bookshop in Hong Kong called Bleak House Books, which is uh, 
an independent English language bookstore. I see many parallels between Albert and I. We're both Chinese American. Both of our parents are Hong Kongers who immigrated to the states before we were born. While we both grew up in America, we were also exposed to Hong Kong's culture and the Cantonese language through our parents and watching Hong Kong television. We would visit the city every few years to visit relatives. And like me, Albert had struggled with identifying what Hong Kong meant to him. You know, I never considered Hong Kong a second home, obviously until I moved there in, in the end of 2016, in December. It also wasn't alien to me, so it felt familiar. But it, I wouldn't say I would call it a second home. But it did feel like I didn't feel like I was in on a different planet, which is sometimes how I feel right now. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I was born in, and raised in the U.S., sometimes I feel like I'm. Like, I don't know where the fuck I am. <laughs> You know, in Hong Kong, things always felt familiar. It was not always easy, but、uh, it was not—it was not difficult either. I don't know if that makes sense. This made sense to me. If you asked me right now if I consider myself a Hong Konger, my first instinct is to say no. I was born and raised in California, and I've lived there for 18 years. My passport says I'm an American. But ever since I moved to Hong Kong four years ago for my undergrad studies, I've spent more time here than in the states. I pay more attention to Hong Kong news than American news. Heck, I've even been speaking in Cantonese more than in English, even though English is my first language. To me, Hong Kong is no longer just my parents' former home, or just a place where my culture and heritage originate from. I've now formed my own personal connection with the city. But it wasn't always like this. My first year in Hong Kong, I couldn't be bothered with what was going on around me. I rarely watched the local news, and I didn't know anything about local politics. In other words, I was apolitical. And in some ways, Albert started off that way as well. When he first opened Bleak House Books in Sunpokong in 2017, what had happened to the Causeway Bay bookstore sellers the year before was still lingering in his mind. I do remember saying in the past, and and you know, I, it's not like I'm disavowing it, but I did say when I first opened the bookshop that you know we'd, we'd be sort of apolitical, not necessarily in, in what we're stock, but obviously I never anticipated speaking out. About politics through the bookshop, not in the way that I've done it. But over the years, Albert became more outspoken about freedoms of speech and expression, and his bookstore was decorated with stickers and posters from the 2019 social movement. You know, I was pretty vocal about what has happened since 2019. You know, to see what was happening on the streets, you know, with the protesters and the police and civil society and The opposition, political members getting arrested, being put in jail—it's hard not to say something, anything at all. I mean, I think people with a conscience—if you—if you just not—if you stay silent, you are in effect on the side of the the oppressors. Because of this, Albert said that staying apolitical was no longer possible. You know and. and Uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I just shut up and just pretended nothing was happening and, and sold books. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Albert said that 2019 was a turning point for him to be more vocal, but he's always been a political person. Before moving to Hong Kong and becoming a bookstore owner, he worked as a civil rights and criminal justice attorney in Atlanta, Georgia. It's not like all of a sudden the light bulb went on and it was like, oh, I gotta. Get into politics now. That's that was never the case, but 
I did feel like at that point, in the you know in June of 2019, you、um, had to speak out. His bookstore has held a number of events, including readings dedicated to the Tiananmen Square protest and another to Liu Xiaobo. A year after the Liu Xiaobo event, Albert held a talk at Chinese University, where he revealed that some had expressed their concerns about it, and they worried that Albert had put himself in a precarious situation. Here's an excerpt of what Albert said at CUHK. Little did I know, though, that just hosting an event about someone who might be considered a critic of the Chinese Communist Party can call into question my own political loyalties—not that I have any to speak of—and that that would somehow make me a target. A little more than two years after this talk, Albert would close his bookstore because of politics. Shortly after Bleak House Books closed, Tammy Ho, a local award-winning author and a close friend of Albert, wrote an essay, a tribute to the bookstore. She wrote, "It was welcoming, made you feel comfortable, and that you belonged, and it also gave you license to be part of its world." Tammy ends her essay with this: "There's an image of Bleak House Books." Mournful, serene, and somehow haunting, that I particularly like. The blinds are drawn. The lamps overhanging the bookshelves are turned off. Sitting in front of the window is an empty chair. Next to it is a floor lamp, radiating a determined halo of light. And Albert's translation of a line from Wang Gaowei's 2013 film *The Grandmaster*: "With one breath, the lamp is lit. Always remember, where there is light, there is hope." In many ways, I never truly comprehended how much Hong Kong had changed over the last few years until October of 2021, and I think a part of it has to do with the fact that I see so many similarities between Albert and I. If someone who grew up in America all his life and had then found a home in Hong Kong, but then chose to leave this home because they could no longer see a life there, could this person be not only Albert but also me? Will I also no longer be able to see a life for myself in Hong Kong? If so, how much longer do I have? During this introspective reflection, perhaps in search of a reason to stay, I went in search of local indie bookstores, and I soon came to an epiphany: one bookstore may have closed, but others are still around. In fact, there are many indie bookstores that are still here in Hong Kong, and even after the implementation of the national security law, new indie bookstores have continued to open up. So now, the question lingering on my mind was, why are they still here? Aren't these bookstore owners also concerned about the national security law? Here's what Gabriel said. Well, I would say yes and no.、Um, yes, it's it's there. I mean, we we all know that. No, because we're still here. I mean, we're still open, and、uh, I think everyone has a choice.、Um, there is a very solid reason to to close a bookstore because of that, but then there's also a very solid reason to to remain open because of that. So it's not right or wrong, but it's, it's a matter of choice. And Gabriel has chosen to stay in Hong Kong. Maybe because we are、um, born in Hong Kong, with no no other place to go to, so. That's why we we choose to stay here and and、uh, try to survive as as a Hong Konger simply because we were stuck here. So we were trying to survive with other Hong Kongers under the same environment. Bookstore can be a challenging thing to do in these times, but then it's I think it's the same with doing it everything else. Everything is challenging right now. So yeah, we're we're just doing. 
just doing something. It's not, not something very grand. It's just general Hong Konger doing our thing right now here. Running a bookstore may not be quote-unquote grand, but it's certainly risky during this political climate. Here's James from 17th Bookstore. I think what I could do is, just like in this 17th Bookshop, we're celebrating diversity, right? What I could do is like is to try to preserve this diversity. And as long as there are diversity, I, I, I books from, from different agenda, from different political views would have their place on the bookshops. James says that one of the biggest difficulties in running a bookstore in Hong Kong today is deciding what books to stock and sell. After all, who knows if a book that's legal today will be illegal tomorrow. But this hasn't stopped James from continuing to do what he's always done. But what I believe is as long as the books are not labelled illegal, I would just look at it as part of the diversity. And Gabriel shares the same sentiment. We're not blatantly doing anything to threaten national security. We're just trying to promote some good books for people. So we're not really afraid, because if, if you, you have to be afraid, there, there are a lot of things to be afraid of. So it's, I think it's generally the, how, how we cope with life. I can say, well, we're not really afraid. Maybe it's religion, because maybe it's just, just life. The closure of Bleak House Books in Sunpogong and Albert's departure from the city has left a hole in Hong Kong's literary community. But Albert is already in the process of reopening Bleak House Books in New York. Is there anything else that you might think about doing differently compared to what it was in Hong Kong? Um, it would help to have more space. Even though our bookshop in, in Sampokong was, by Hong Kong standards, it was, it was pretty spacious. But it, it would help to have like a bookshop area and then maybe an office area and a storage area. When I was still in Hong Kong, the you know my office was basically that round table in the in the middle of the bookshop, and you know I'm there trying to do work and being grumpy. It would be better to have like a, an area that's set off where I can be grumpy in my own room and not you know not have that affect everyone else. But you know in Hong Kong that's hard because Hong Kong space is a premium and scarce. Albert said that there's a lot of little things that he'd like to change, such as improving his bookstore's website to make it more user-friendly. But there's one thing that he won't change. I'd like to keep the same culture of our bookshop. Meanwhile, those who remain in Hong Kong think that the community of indie bookstores in the city will only continue to grow. If you look at the reason why he, he needs to leave Hong Kong, it's, it's saddening. But for myself, for the people who decided to stay in Hong Kong, I definitely would still have hope that there are people who still run bookshops in Hong Kong. So there are people who leave, there are people who come in, and I think nature will find its way. Just like bookstore will find its way, will somehow people will still come in and do this bookshop business in whatever format, in under whatever difficulties, it will still evolve to reach out many different readers anyway. New and unique indie bookstores continue to open in Hong Kong, but this has got me wondering, what is the state of Hong Kong's reading culture? 
Do Hong Kongers still choose to occupy themselves with a book when they could instead be on their phones, on social media, hanging out with their friends and family, or simply just trying to keep up with Hong Kong's fast-paced lifestyle? To find the answer to this question, I didn't have to look very far because on Instagram, there's an account called Hong Kong People Reading. The account has been running since March of 2015, and it collects photos of book readers all around Hong Kong. Currently, there are over a thousand posts. That means the account has captured and shared more than a thousand people in Hong Kong reading on the MTR, on a tram, on a double-decker bus, in public parks, out on the streets. I contacted the admin of this Instagram page to ask them why they started running this page. They didn't want to speak on a podcast and didn't want to share their identity, but they were willing to answer my questions, so I had my friend read out the response. At first, my fellow founder was inspired by the Hot Dudes reading account and decided to capture fellow book readers on the train. Myself as a street photographer, I also like to observe fellow commuters and the city in general. From my observation, many passengers have their necks craned using their smartphones, either playing games, watching TV drama, or browsing sites, or social media. It's a rare sight to see a book reader, and that's what attracts a street photographer. Sometimes I'd be curious about the book, if I could see the book cover, or peer over when I'm standing and the reader's sitting, but generally I would not initiate a conversation and interrupt the reader. It's an interesting project to observe Hong Kongers' habits. The bio of this Instagram account says, Disappear into a book. Find your freedom. I asked the admin what this quote meant to them. I was an English major and a book lover. This was not our original description, but I can't remember that one now. I changed it to this one because I remembered a poem by my literature professor back then. It had these lines. It can be a riddle, frustrating that I chew over dinner, or an answer, or both. I can stop and come back anytime. No bus travels there, neither stations nor frontiers, save vocabulary. It is everywhere and nowhere. I need no suitcase, no passport, no ticket. To go and take something back, I simply disappear into a page. The admin has been running this Instagram account anonymously, and they chose to do so intentionally. This page is about a community of book readers and lovers, not really about admin selections or thoughts. I also like to highlight that these photos are contributed by a wide range of followers. That's why I use we or our page instead of my. I also asked the admin to show me what their favorite picture was from the account's abundance of posts. They chose a picture of a woman sitting on a ferry with no one else around her. The harbor is in the background, it's a beautiful view, but the woman isn't paying attention to it because she's buried deep in a book. James from 17th said that indie bookstores can continue to survive and evolve even in today's Hong Kong because of the people in Hong Kong. Whenever an independent bookshop goes away and people will think, oh, it's a pity that certain bookshop needs to close down. We have heard so much stories about those, you know, closing bookshops. And, and I think we've heard enough of those. And eventually, more people would understand, okay, for existing bookshops, they need to support these existing bookshops, especially independent bookshops, so that they won't go into shutting down one day. 
I think it's an accumulation of, of these emotions of closing bookshops, and eventually people start to realize they need to support these bookshops by buying more books. James has also been noticing a new trend among readers in Hong Kong. Maybe if you notice, you know, after the national security law, there are less books about the direct discussions of recent events. Maybe it's deemed to be sensitive or risky in selling. But if you notice, there are more books on rather generic political views, or maybe classic political reader, which get published a lot. The most obviously, the power of the powerless. Vaslav Havel was a playwright, an author, and a former dissident. Spending years in and out of communist prisons, living under police surveillance, and having his plays and essays blacklisted by the authorities. In 1989, he was the one who brought an end to communist rule in Czechoslovakia, and he became the country's first president. Three years later, in 1992, when Czechoslovakia was splitting up, Havel had resigned as president. Yet he remained optimistic of its people. Here's an interview he did with CBC News right as he was stepping down. You were a hero. Everyone thought you were going to bring peace, love, prosperity, and moral authority to Czechoslovakia. Is it too late? <laughs> I think it's never too late for people to try and make the world a better place. As long as we're in this world. One of Havel's most iconic pieces is *The Power of the Powerless*, an 80-page essay written in 1978, where he addressed a simple but important question. How much power do we have as a community and as individuals in a society where we may feel powerless? Here's an excerpt from the essay. Let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps, and he stops putting up the slogans merely to ingratiate himself. He stops voting in elections he knows are a farce. He begins to say what he really thinks at political meetings, and he even finds the strength in himself to express solidarity with those whom his conscience commands him to support. In this revolt, the greengrocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual and breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. It comes back to the bookshelves, and it, it gives inspiration of how we deal with the current atmosphere under national security law influence. And even I couldn't imagine, you know, classic books like Animal Farm or 1984 keep selling. Remember Raymond from episode one? He used to be a liberal studies teacher, but he's now a book publisher. Well, his company printed a bilingual version of Animal Farm, and it sold so many copies that it went into its second printing. We might understand there's these difficulties of you know, having very sensitive books at the time, but we we go back to this classic. We seek, we celebrate this inspiration from this classic, no matter it be. Non-fiction, or maybe fiction, or literature. So I'm, I'm very glad that we are still able to do this, and we will keep doing this until one day we won't be allowed to do that. 
Hong Kong's literary community is not what it once was. The national security law has imparted an invisible red line on the city, with none the wiser. Publishers and authors alike are self-censoring. Bookstore owners don't know if what they're selling today can be deemed illegal tomorrow. And sky-high rent prices continue to be one of the biggest challenges for bookstore owners. But they're all still here in Hong Kong. Local publishers will continue to publish books, local authors will continue to write, local indie bookstores will continue to sell books and create a space for the community. Knowing all of this has left me feeling inspired and hopeful. Because if they've all found a reason to stay in Hong Kong and keep doing what they're doing, perhaps I can do the same as well. Recent events in the past few years have no doubt cast a shadow over the community. But instead of looking at the past and thinking about what could have been, why not cherish the present instead? Go and buy books printed by local publishers, go and read books written by local authors, and go and visit the local bookstore. We're all living on borrowed time, and who knows how much longer we have to do all of this. Borrowed was written, reported, and produced by me, Jasmine Se, here in Hong Kong. This podcast would not have been possible without all of those who had spoken with me. To the publishers, the authors, and the bookstore owners, those who had shared their names, and those who spoke anonymously, as well as those who I wasn't able to include in this podcast. Thank you all for your time and your bravery, and for continuing to cultivate Hong Kong's literary community. Special thanks to my project advisor, Dean Cox, for giving me invaluable advice, feedback, and support over the last four months. Thank you to my parents and siblings for translating interviews and lending their voices for this podcast. Thank you to Becky Soul for your voice, for the cover art, and for giving this podcast its name. And thank you for listening.